Live from the Lincoln Douglas Building in downtown Quincy, the only local show taking a principled stand on the issues of the day. This is how it happens. It's the natural process of things. The view of the entrenched is predictable, but it's also erroneous. With Sean Seacrease. We have an addiction in this country, not only to government welfare and government handouts, but more fundamentally to other people's money. And Quaid. Again, you're dancing with government. This is the morning meeting. You cannot continue to advocate for status quo when status quo has run the ship aground. On Talk Radio 930, WTAD. the morning meeting on Talk Radio 930 WTAD. Sean Seacrest, Quaid with you this morning. I don't know if you're prepared for no. something that we're going to do on the show today. No. That is, one, a bit unusual, but we'll test the theory that more of a good thing is always better. Ooh. We're doing double shot of Craig. What? That's right. We've got so much stuff to cover. I, we're oh. actually going to bring him on in segment two, and he's going to stay with us for a couple segments. Wow. Okay. So is, is more always better, even when that more is a good thing? All right. We'll, of, we'll, we'll roll. Uh, lots of philosophy that we'll have to, uh, to break down. Uh, Does that mean I open my fizzy beverage in segment two or mm, segment three? I think that's an, an end-user decision. In a, in a, in a Sean regime... You would be allowed to make your own choice. There would be no government liaison mm. dictating the time of beverage opening. All opening times would be accepted equally. Okay. And uh, I would probably incentivize earlier opening. Well, usually the way it works is that when he comes on, I I right into the mic. By the way, so, is that the dandelion and burdock? How'd you know? That's, I could I could yeah. just I feel the negative vibes it's coming a, off of no, it. No, that's not negative. Uh, mm. All right, I'm going to have to go on a walkabout and find my own thing today. <laughs> right after the show seemingly wrapped up yesterday, uh, it came down that uh, former U.S. House Representative Aaron Schock yeah. was indicted on 24 counts in the investigation into him. The federal grand jury handed those down, including wire fraud and theft of funds. So we'll see where this uh, continues to go. Things do not look good right now and it looks like uh, some of his um weak mayo cult being is not going to get him off the hook uh ed, ed morrissey uh wrote a little thing uh, pointing out that uh, shock's uh, attorneys say that this is uh, going to look bad when you know you dig through these but you should look deeper into this and see that they really went way out of their way to find things to indict him on and I'm not excusing what what Shock uh, has done or was involved with. The point Morrissey makes is, and it took two federal grand juries to get to this mm-hmm. 24. The thing Morrissey points out is this is a uh, a, a federal grand jury that that wouldn't bother with Hillary Clinton. Not no nobody would take that on. But Aaron Schock will will use two grand juries to find twenty fourth. I'm not excusing it, but I, I, Morrissey's pointing out some hypocrisy involved there on the Fed level. I think people enjoy uh, toppling those who 
Oh, yeah. Are either uh, part of a system that they don't believe represents them. Although I don't think you could make that case here in his district where he was getting 72, 73% of the vote uh, during elections. But it's that, okay, he's he's had opportunities. He sees those opportunities, but it was he could be lumped in with those viewed as an elite, uh, lumped in with those who are probably... I'm secure enough. He's probably prettier than the people who came after him. Everybody wanted those washboard abs, and they were able to take down the guy who had them. Well, I think there was a little bit here. Now he got he got he didn't get caught with his hand in the cookie jar, but he got caught with cookie dust all over him, and the cookies <laughs> were missing from the cookie jar. Right. Essentially, this is what uh, Gollum does to uh, split up Frodo and Sam in in the last march toward uh, toward the uh, mountain of fire. So this is he 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 throws the food over the cliff and sprinkles some of the crumbs on Sam so that they find right. him out. Yeah. You know, and, and Aaron Shock's going to be the one showing the door for it here. That's not to say that he didn't do anything wrong, but this is uh, this is a far cry from quote being caught with your hand in the cookie jar kind of thing. Right, and, and you talk about the district being the way the district is. Did you really think that there was going to be if you removed Shock that there was going to be a Democrat that somehow swelled up? In, in this district to replace him, that wasn't going to happen. Uh, if, if anything, you could make the case that Darren's more conservative than Aaron. This district, this U.S. House district that um, Shock represented, that Darren LaHood now represents, if you looked at a map, it would look like part of Missouri, how red it is. It looks like Missouri you know, Missouri spilled already, over. Missouri already has the boot heel. You're mm-hmm. like, they stole that from Arkansas. It looks like <laughs> they stole this district from Illinois. Yeah, but the thing is, this district doesn't just spill into Forgottonia. Mm-hmm. It goes beyond. I mean, when you're talking about all the way over towards normal, yeah, uh, that's, that's not a, a, a drop or two here or there. I, I know it's been... Way over there, they call that Ben Yount country. <laughs> I, I know it's been created in a way that they think they, they put all the conservatives into one area, but it's not a small area. You just accused Mike Madigan, who drew the map, of creating a conservative in, conservative internment camp. <laughs> well, it's a, I, that, that's kind of I wouldn't say it's a. Is it okay? Or at least all the conservative reservation here in. The, Reservation might be a better word than internment camp, although we could debate it. I don't know what good it would do. <laughs> we'll see until that Illinois map is struck. And, and granted, you you have the House district that we're talking about now uh, is larger than the state senator and representative districts, just because of the way the federal system yeah. works versus the state system. Uh, but you do have this overwhelming sort of downstate idea that runs more conservative than what you see in Cook and the Collar Counties, and that's no secret at all. Mm-hmm. And people say, well, look at these strong Republican districts. That's that's part of the problem when you draw the map the way that uh, the Madigan power drew the map is that in order to make a, they think, unassailable Democratic majority, and we're talking about at the state level now, you have to concede that you're not going to be able to legislate out opposition, although liberals would like to try. Sure. 
they, they, it's it's a kind of a quasi-effective way to do it, though. Well, if you look at the language that they use, it's the language of totalitarianism, which is anything that doesn't agree with what their position is is extremism. And so they they won't say that they won't tolerate your opinion. What they'll say is society shouldn't tolerate extremism, and then anything that doesn't conform to their thought process will get labeled extremism. Mm-hmm. So it's it's A, B, C instead of A, B. You have to acknowledge, and Mike Madigan, say what you will about him, he is, he is a sharp political mind, in order to draw those districts so that he would have what he had planned to be an unassailable Democratic majority, he knew that some districts would have to run just deep red in order to keep those votes penned mm-hmm. in that district. He created a couple pockets of conservative reservations, essentially, and just said, you know what, they'll have those, but they'll, they're, they're penned up and their votes won't leak out and destroy the rest of the blue map in the state of Illinois. And Controlled. so that's part of the problem yeah. is that not only do Democrats have strongholds, but the way it's drawn, you have many of the conservative votes lumped together so that your vote is, is withheld from a different district. Mm-hmm. So you, you look at a lot of the, and we're a little bit far afield here, but one of the things that you're going to hear about from anti-Madigan, independent, and conservative groups. They don't have to be all of those things. You can be one or two of those things on the Venn diagram. We're going to hear this in Illinois leading up to the election, and that's going to be either independent maps or fair maps, or they had a couple of different commissions, but you're going to start hearing more about the map and what district there is. Nothing's going to happen until you overcome the system that's in place already. But you're going to hear a lot about this this map, and, and that's what they're talking about. Yeah, uh, I, and I don't know. Looking back on it, uh, I don't know if at some point in time, I, I think Democrats thought that that shock was somebody that they could work with. So you you you, you know you mm-hmm. don't know what the the underpinnings of you know going and rooting around and finding the 24 counts, or was it so brazen? Again, uh, Shock's attorney George Terwilliger says this is going to look bad if you just look at it at face value and then you have the argument of but there are a lot worse things that get ignored and at the at the end of the article take that with a grain of salt that's also the defense's counsel speaking on the defense's behalf more ed morrissey though at the end of it wraps up the the, his article which is just uh, built around uh, terwilliger's statement about shock in the first place but he says maybe shock would be uh, better served to see if he uh, and uh, or if if, uh, bill and hillary are looking to adopt a son that's a, a scathing commentary there. All right, one more thing before we jump on with the Iowa Republican. Illinois Governor Bruce Rauner has asked top leaders in the General Assembly to meet ahead of the uh, veto session next week. Uh, he's invited Mike Manigan, Jim Durkin, uh, John Collerton, and uh, President of the Illinois Senate and Republican uh, Senate Leader Christine Radonio all to meet, trying to come up with an agreement on a full state budget and associated pension reform. This was the agreement. Mm-hmm. This for the for the partial budget for the the, the stopgap, whatever you want to name it. Part of getting that done was, hey, look, after the election, we're going to come together and do the really hard work. We 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 think this was hard. Remember, they had the big uh, self congratulatory session, and yay, look what we did, and everybody went, "This is what you got." Yeah, this was it. They were like, "Woohoo!" 
Now the the real hard work has to begin. Everybody agreed to do that hard work. And, of course, at this state, we immediately went, you really believe that they're going to come to the table and, and, and do that hard work? Well, we're at that point now. And the governor is saying, here we are. Are you going to? Are you going to fulfill the promise that you made? So, again, I'm sorry, what day is this supposed to happen? Uh, it just said ahead of next week's veto okay. session. So, so uh, over the weekend, obviously, because the veto session is next week. Okay. So, I, it, it will be interesting. I don't, the, <laughs> the bookies out there taking bets on on if everybody will come together. And uh, you know will what? they just, at the end, agree to meet again? I think that no matter what line is set, you can't trust it because even the smart guys, quote-unquote, the smart money, got both Brexit and the U.S. election wrong. True. So I wouldn't trust those lines if you're going to bet with your friends over whether or not this gets done over the weekend. All right, coming up this morning on The Morning Meeting, too much of a good thing? We'll find out next with Craig Robinson here on The Morning Meeting. Where we go, others will follow. That's who we are. Even if it's not the best idea. The Morning Meeting on Talk Radio 930 WTAD. This is Mark Levin, and you're listening to The Morning Meeting on Talk Radio 930 WTAD. Rip the lid off that dandelion and burdock you got. It's time for the morning meeting on a fizzy beverage Friday with Craig Robinson, the Iowa Republican, joining us for a uh, double shot this morning. But with all the news of the presidential election and wider scope this week, we needed some extra Hoosier Chewy time this morning here on the morning meeting. Craig, you were a tweet machine on uh, Tuesday night, and you were actually the reason. I'm going to go ahead and give you the dap you deserve here. I hadn't <laughs> opened the Twitter app on my phone in about two years, and I thought, you know what? I know a couple of guys, Craig Robinson, uh, Tony Katz, a couple of other guys that I like uh, who are probably lighting it up right now, and at the same time, Sort of enjoying some schadenfreude, as I was. Sort of enjoying the salty tears of willful disbelief <laughs> that the liberal industrial media complex uh, was, 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 was on display with as the tide turned against their hand-picked uh, candidate on Tuesday night. It was, it was a very complicated election to sort of work through, and, and hopefully here at the end of the week we can work through many of those things with you here on the morning meeting. What for you was was the hook. Obviously, you have the story of the of the uh, Trump predicted uh, a loss to Hillary Clinton. He actually comes out and is chosen by the country. Uh, was it the, was it the the hand wringing of, of, of the leftist media? I mean, to you, what was what was the, the ongoing evolution of the night like? Oh, it, it was fantastic. I mean, I I watched uh, CNN's coverage and I couldn't turn away from it because Wolf Blitzer was that bad. I mean, you know, he would he would go to the map and, 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 you know, push John King around, telling him to go to this state or that state. And, you know, like the the Florida is going for Trump. OK, <laughs> and Virginia is is way too close, especially with Tim Kaine on the ballot. And North Carolina is in play here. All these states are in play. 
And Wolf Blitzer is like, John King, go to Iowa. Look at these early results, which is all Polk County early votes, okay? And 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 he goes to Tapper, Jake Tapper, and he says, says, well, these are encouraging numbers for the Clinton campaign, don't you think? And Tapper looks at, 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 at Wolf Blitzer and he says, I don't think there's anything encouraging about the numbers we're seeing for the Clinton campaign. I mean, Wolf Blitzer was oblivious to what was happening. Um, and, and, and almost to a point where it's like he just didn't want to, you know, admit or accept what was going on. Um, the total disbelief. But maybe the best thing was is the day after. You know, the best day after, you know, the best, day, Cubs winning the World Series was a great thing for me. But the day after was even that much better. And the day after this election were all these reporters who said, you know, Donald Trump can't win, had to write the story of how Hillary Clinton lost it. It was fantastic reading. I, I, Craig, I would tell you that Wolf Blitzer was aware. He was just in denial. And, mm-hmm. and uh, I, I honestly think that he failed geography and didn't know where to point at the map to find Florida, which is why he still hasn't called it. Well, A, CNN obviously gives Wolf Blitzer too much power because they wouldn't or there's somebody else behind the scenes who is just as delusional because how long did it take them to call Florida? It was almost as if all the other networks had done it. The Globe knew, but CNN was still waiting on something. <laughs> I What? what they, they were that way all night with multiple states. I mean, it was, it was, it, it was kind of crazy. And I, so many times I wanted to turn away, but it was such a train wreck. I just kept watching it. Well, you missed and, train wrecks on other networks because the media, especially the later it got, if you stuck it out to, to one, two, three in the morning, they, mm-hmm. they pants themselves, Craig. We're looking at the coverage. I was doing a lot of channel surfing during that to watch not only the story unfold, but to watch how the media construct in this country was going to to tell it. And NBC was just, they need to rethink their game from the ground up. Uh, CNN was willfully in the bag uh, with Blitzer showcasing mm-hmm. all of that with the way he was choosing to ignore some numbers and try and highlight other numbers. And, Craig, if you stuck around long enough uh, on CNN, if, if you parked and kind of camped there on their coverage all night, I just want to know if you've been able to find some salve or something so that uh, you can heal the white lash. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I saw that as it happened and was mm-hmm. shocked by it. I mean, it was, it was shocking and a complete – look, the reason the media uh, missed this is because they operate and live in an echo chamber. I know a lot of these people. I like a lot of these people. But the problem with them is is that they socialize with each other, and then they all have friends on campaigns that they talk to and get insider information, and, and they believe it's gospel. And, and let's be honest, the, so they're talking about Trump and getting information from the Hillary campaign, okay, which is biased. And then, and then they're talking to Republican establishment people who also don't think Trump has a shot at hell at winning. And, and they take that, and they live in that. And it becomes a huge echo chamber. And when I drive around Iowa, we talked about this a few weeks ago, like you have to get yourself outside of, out of the bubble to really feel what's going on. I was in Democrat counties saying there's no life 
there's no signs of life out here for Hillary Clinton, let alone the rest of the ticket. And and we had absentee numbers that were at least 15% off of what Obama did. And I kept saying, there's an enthusiasm problem for mm-hmm. Hillary Clinton. And, and, and the media refused to... They, they believed everything the Hillary Clinton campaign was saying. They thought Trump was stupid and can't win. And, and they missed the biggest story in the last 50 years of presidential politics. Uh, if, if you watched NBC at the, at the end of the night, by the time Trump was giving his acceptance speech, saying that uh, Hillary had called and uh, conceded, uh, Andrea Mitchell, Chuck Todd, and James Carville, NBC was behind CNN. In fact, they used the fact that CNN had gone ahead and called a few other states to put Trump over 270 as their reason for doing it as well, which I think is a complete failure on their part to do their job. Uh, so if, if if you stuck with it on CNN, you missed a train wreck on other networks too, Craig. No, and I, I, I agree. I mean, the, the, the thing that, that I always tell people, I, the best thing you can do if you want good coverage is to develop a, a Twitter feed that you can follow. I mean, I was getting information of, of states being called before the networks would let you know, before you'd see it online. My Twitter feed was just cranking, and it's like, I feel like I'm getting real-time information, and then these TV networks are running 20, 30 hours behind. Um, and, and so, again, I think social media shows that if you want instant information, you know, build out your Twitter feed, follow the right people, um, smart people, and uh, you, can, you can see a lot of good stuff on a election night or debate night or anything like that. Safe to say that the first bubble uh, that burst after Trump was elected was the media's bubble? Yes, um, definitely. Uh, I mean, I think the Clinton campaign bubble might have popped first, but I do think that the the media, I think, quickly realized the errors of their way. I would um, I want to get into the, the, the to the Clinton aspect of it and in the end of the Clinton era. But I haven't heard a whole lot of people talking about it. I tell you what, we'll take a break, Craig, because we gotta we got to check in on some sure. markets. And when we come back, we'll talk about that. And I want to talk about how red Iowa has turned. I know you've got some, some stories about that. We'll do that next on The Morning Meeting. Giving conservatives a voice in the tri-states. I mean, this stuff moves people. It's The Morning Meeting on Talk Radio 930 WTAD. WTAD. The morning meeting on Talk Radio 930 WTAD. John Seacrest, Quaid with you this morning. All right, we got our usual dose of the Iowa Republican Craig Robinson, but finding out whether or not even too much of something you like isn't a good thing. And we bring him back on for a second segment with us this morning on the morning meeting. Craig, good morning again, and thanks for continuing on with us here. No problem. You wanted to get in, Quaid, to the uh, Clinton aspect of this as we were watching this election unfold. One of the things that I I think we witnessed Tuesday night was the end of the Clinton era. But I haven't heard a whole lot of people talking about it. I think that's a significant thing that we've lived with the Clintons, not just in our political reality, but, but in our lives for 25 years now. And Tuesday ended that because uh, there, I, I don't think there's any 
you know, stomach for, for Chelsea. However, I wake up today to find a story that <laughs> the, the New York Democrats don't want to let it go, and they want to start to try and build Chelsea up into something running for office. I guess the memo hasn't gotten around to them, or are they playing Wolf Blitzer right now and not wanting to see reality that it's over? Well, look, I mean, you know, if she wants to run for Congress in some, you know, in, in New York City, have at it, I guess. Um, but, I mean, the, the question is, is, or not the question, but I think we saw this, and we saw this when we had Bush, too, that, that people are done with this. They want to move on from this. And, and the problem with Hillary Clinton was, despite every negative thing she said about Donald Trump, what people didn't want, they knew what they were getting with her. They knew exactly what it would have been like if she was president. They experienced it before. They didn't want it. It was a rejection. This election, more than anything, was a rejection of Hillary Clinton. It is over. They, people want to move on. They want to move forward. They want something different. And, uh, again, I think that, you know, they need the, the worst thing that could have happened for the Clinton family is for the story to come out about Chelsea. I mean, because I think people are rolling their eyes and saying, do they not get the message? Do they, do, have they not listened to us? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so anyway, I think that, that, you know, and the other thing I'd like to say, too, is that, you know, we're seeing these students and everything protest across the country. It's because of the type of campaign that was run and the type of campaign that was really run by Hillary Clinton against Donald Trump. It was personal. It was negative. It was nasty. It wasn't about any issues. It was about his personal flaws. And again, if that's why this is going to take time to you know, reunite this country, because they went out in such a negative, nasty way. And you know what? The news media went right along with Craig Robinson, the Iowa Republican, with us this morning here on the morning meeting. Uh, Craig, you don't have this experience uh, as a father yet, and, and Quaid may have. So I want to start there. Have you ever sort of let your child go? They, they, they get on a roll about something they know is an opinion, probably. I mean, I used to do this as a teenager. You think you have all the answers. You're just you're letting it fly. You're telling it how it is. And as a parent, I can remember my parents doing this to me. They let you go. They let you say your piece the whole time they're waiting. And then when you're done, they explain to you all the ways that you're wrong. I feel like sort of on a grander scale, this is what's happened. The the silent and more conservative usual majority has let this liberal mindset sort of have its way the last few years. And when it really got off the rails, it was finally their turn to stand up and go, I've heard enough. You're wrong. That's, that's just not how this country is. Right. Right. No, I, I think you're right. And I think that, again, but let's talk about how far the Democrat Party has drifted away from just normal people. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, in Iowa, if you want to look at the, the you can start looking at the map starting in 2010, you know, 2010, even 2012, 2014, um, you look at it, they have become, the Democrat Party in Iowa has become really a party um, that really represents about six of the 99 counties. I mean, it's Des Moines, it's Cedar Rapids, it's Davenport, it's Waterloo. But outside of that, they don't connect to people. Um, they don't connect to working people. They don't connect. They don't share their values. And, and 
they're oblivious to this, and, and yet the response of the Democrats is to go more liberal, to go to, to you know, delve into the socialism with Bernie Sanders and, and, and stuff like that. And, I mean, it's, it, to me, it's shocking. And, and the Republican Party has a real opportunity here to, to champion the working class, regular people, um, people who, honest, let's be honest, do not give two cents about politics, or reading, uh, you know, the New York Times or any of this stuff. All they care about is the quality of their own lives, and they want to feel safe, they want to feel secure, and they want to feel like they're getting ahead. That's all they care about. Um, a very low percentage of us, you know, live and die with this political stuff. So, you know, I just think that they're, they're, it is shocking how far this, this party, the Democrat Party, has drifted uh, from its base. And Craig, I would space from just this base of working people. Well, Craig, I would make the same charge against the Republican Party that they drifted so far from their traditional party structure that they created the void that allowed Donald Trump to walk in and take the party over as a as a populist and gave him the platform for this. So I think both parties are kind of soul searching, and it's going to be even tougher for young liberals, young Democrats, because of what I mentioned a moment ago, in that we the, the country kind of let them have their say this last few years and then stood up and, and said, no, that's that's not the way it's going to be, because right. they, they don't know that that's the way the country is. They were allowed to believe, and they bought into the idea that just because the country was giving them a chance to speak for a moment, that they actually were the conscience, the voice uh, of the country and that the country was turning more liberal. And I think they're having a hard time because they're realizing that's not the case. It's not. We were just kind of letting you rant on for a little while. And it's the country's actually more conservative. The country is actually uh, closer in line to a- an idea that, that doesn't like what either party had been doing. Because right. we mentioned how the Republicans had drifted so far from their base, they opened the door for Trump. And, and the Democrats, you, you have to look at right now – in. These are words that I didn't even know could form a sentence. The most prescient liberal in the country might be Michael Moore. Yeah, absolutely. This is really making the rounds. I mean, everything you said is is, is very accurate, and 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 I think that the, the part, the other problem we have though is that in party politics, and the media applies this too, is this rigid monolithic thing that. You know, Craig has to, you know, be a Republican just like, you know, Bob is a Republican. We believe in the same exact stuff. There's no difference between us. We all have to, and that's, that's wrong. I mean, I think that, you know, when you look at Trump and, and, you know, he's not a free trader. He's a fair trader. And he's more of an isolationist, uh, not necessarily a hawk. And, and my thing is, is, as a Republican, I think we need all sorts of different kinds of Republicans because you never know what the mood of the country is going to be. And you look at it, what's France dealing with today? What's the biggest political issue in France? Immigration, securing their borders. Trump is a reflection of not what's going on in the country, but what's going on in this world. And, and, and again, and so, like, having someone who is, you know, a more... Uh, of a, you know, strong immigration, secure the borders, rule of law, um, combined with with maybe someone who's more of a fair trade versus a free trader, at this moment in our history, makes tons of sense. 
And so I'm glad he's a Republican. But I don't think it's not like there's just one type of Republican and we can always apply it. There's different times and different seasons in which maybe another element of the party rises up and it's their time to lead because they have the answers that the people are looking for. Greg Robinson, the Iowa Republican, with us this morning on the morning meeting. Yeah, so what we're getting at here is, okay, so the media's bubble burst, and now we're looking at the DNC's bubble being burst. And I think a lot of people would say that the Republicans' bubble was the one that was going to burst, but it turns out well, winning uh, keeps that from, from happening. Mm-hmm. To winning it, to is it. the best deodorant, as they say <laughs> in sports. Yeah. So I know that Republicans won all over Iowa, just like they did in Missouri uh, Tuesday how are Iowa Democrats dealing with that burst on a local level, Craig? Well, they've been annihilated. I mean, the thing is, is so no one saw Trump's victory coming. But no one also thought that this was a huge wave election for Republicans. And so, I mean, just to describe this, you know, Republicans for the last two or three election cycles have been trying to win control of the Iowa Senate. And they've been two seats away. And so it's always just, you know, we just need two seats, two seats. And, and, and here they are. They don't win just two seats. They picked up six seats. And they didn't just topple, you know, uh, incumbent Democrats in these, you know, rural districts. They knocked over the Senate Majority Leader, who's been a fixture in, in the state legislature for 34 years. I mean, they're leaderless. I mean, they, they sacked the king on Tuesday night in the in the state Senate. Um, and and you have a the Democrat Party chair has already announced she's going to run for governor, right? Well, you know, I mean, that's that doesn't look good. They were all assuming a Hillary Clinton victory and that and, and, and this goes back to the other thing. I think the, the other reason why the Clinton era and dynasty is over is because if you're Russ Feingold, or, or you're some Democrat on the ballot somewhere, Hillary Clinton didn't do anything to help you. She didn't even campaign in Wisconsin during the general election. Mm-hmm. One of the best pickup opportunities in the U.S. Senate, she didn't think of going there. And then, lo and behold, she loses the state. I mean, I, I, it was fascinating. I just thought that, that Hillary was a lazy candidate or thought she had it in the bag or whatever. And then come to find out, they had some algorithm named Ada, who told them what to do and where to go. Well, thanks, Ada. <laughs> she told her not, not, I mean, you lost Pennsylvania. You lost Michigan, it looks like. You lost Wisconsin. You didn't really contest Iowa. And, it, and, and, and look, I thought, I thought we were going to win the state Senate, keep the House, but we were going to lose these urban Republican House seats a little bit. So there was going to be, and we had these two congressional seats in Iowa, freshmen, that Democrats, these were the top targeted congressional pickups in the country, and we weren't close. Rod Blum won by eight points. David Young won by 14 points. They were annihilated across Iowa on Tuesday night, and they, they, they emerged leaderless. Their, their top Democrat is Dave Lopesack, you know, at the federal level, and, and our state treasurer, uh, Mike, uh, Mike Fitzgerald, who's been in office for like 90 years, and doesn't ever, like, come out of the Capitol. I mean, they are in deep, deep trouble because they they, they even lost their strategist in Mike Gromstall. 
Craig Robinson, the Iowa Republican. Craig, it sounds like Iowa's starting to look a whole lot like Missouri. Those are some of the same margins that uh, Republicans were winning by in Missouri. And I think when you want to talk about the Feingold situation and Clinton not helping him, if I'm the Feingold campaign, I only have to look at myself and say, we knew the answer on how to do it, and we just refused to write a large enough check to the Clinton Foundation to get this done. Yeah, exactly. She'll come and visit with you and, 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 and maybe give you some government contracts if you just cut a check. And then the audacity of the media, by the way, yesterday to talk about, you know, all these things that, oh, you know, is Trump going to, you know, with his businesses and all this stuff? It's not necessarily gifts, but, you know, he has business across the globe. And I'm like, again, it's like you're tone deaf. What Hillary Clinton did and how they operated was mm-hmm. so corrupt. The American people saw through your poor media coverage and made the decision on their own. Well, and the other thing that I'm, I'm already tired of is manu- the attempt to manufacture hysteria over Trump's projected social policies. He has never been part of the religious right crusader you know, Ted Cruz group you know, I've I've told a couple people that I know that that are alternative lifestylers. He's probably not going to issue any decrees. He's worried no. about the economy. He's worried about the Supreme Court. He's worried about Obamacare. He's worried about the military. I doubt you see any of this so-called social justice stuff from him at all. Well, thank you because and and this is the thing, Don and I and I I believe. That for the entire general election, Donald Trump's going to be a, 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 he is going to be the president, okay? He is going to fill the role. He is not, he is not an ideologue like mm-hmm. Obama was or that Clinton would be. I think he's going to look at Paul Ryan in the Congress and say, hey, we said we were going to fix, you know, repeal and replace Obamacare. So you need to do it. You need to get a, work something out get it to my desk, and I'll sign it. He's going to be the president. And I think that the American people are really going to like this. And, and the fact that he's not – I mean, we, the problem in this country is we look at, to our president like they can solve all of our problems. That's not how the office was constructed. So I think it'll be refreshing to people that he is simply going to be the president. And, and, and all these people who are living in fear – I mean, if you're living in fear in America – you don't understand our form of government and how it's created mm-hmm. and how your rights are guaranteed. Mm-hmm. Grow up. One Great. man. I don't, I don't live in – I didn't live near Barack Obama for the last eight years. I mean, grow up. Understand your government. One person is not going to take your rights away. Well, you didn't I have mean, to live in fear because that's just white privilege, Craig. we got to take that yeah, away. Yeah, exactly. Well, it, it also, remind them it's Veterans Day. Yes. If you don't understand – how you don't have to live in fear. When you thank that veteran, ask them to explain it to you because they will. Right. Craig Robinson, the exactly. Iowa Republican, with us this morning on the morning meeting. All right, time for something less happy for you, Craig. Michigan oh. comes to Kinnick Stadium <laughs> this weekend. Number three in all the land, 9-0. and oh, Does Iowa rise up and play spoiler? Uh, I think they'll do better than expected. But, man, I mean, uh, the life was just ripped out of me for, you know, that Penn State game. So, um, ugh. Prime time Let tomorrow night. So, hey, I turn, I turn 40 years old tomorrow, okay? Welcome to the club. And, Quaid and I have yeah, been here for I, a while. And I could, it, 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 I had a buddy who's like, you, you want to go to this game? 
And my answer was, no, I think I'm going to go out for dinner with my wife. (laughs) (laughs) Probably the better choice uh, when it comes to an offensive strategy and a defensive one uh, around the Robinson household. Craig Robinson, the Iowa Republican, with us for a long time this morning on the morning meeting, breaking down a lot of not only what you saw but how it was consumed. And the one thing I'm worried about is I just don't want to have to consume for the next year the the, the thread that I've seen from a, a number of outfits, and that's you know, this country hates women because we didn't right. vote for Hillary Clinton and, and all these women and leaning in for the future and everything. Mm-hmm. Great. More participation uh, is always better. But let's get over the crutch that, that this was an anti-woman vote. Craig Robinson. Oh, we need to stop being victims. Yes. Mm-hmm. The Iowa Republican. Thank you, Craig. Thanks, guys. We'll, we'll, we'll pay you double for your appearances today. That check's in the mail. Oh, where we go. He didn't believe me. That's who we are. Even if it's not the best idea. The Morning Meeting on Talk Radio 930 WTAD. Hi, it's Glenn Beck, and you're listening to The Morning Meeting on Talk Radio 930 WTAD. You know what we should have done? And and this was a major oversight on our part because now we've had two chances to do this. What? Since you've been here, my partner on the show, and that is on Veterans Day, honor the veteran that's probably closest to both of us in the lovely Mrs. Quaid. Uh, I don't know about that. I mean, I mean, it, for me, it she's closest on... to me in proximity. I have a lot of family and other things that have served mm-hmm. in various roles in our armed forces, and uh, every one of them, I salute you. Uh, you made a choice that that I chose not to make, and everyone who has served, fought for, and especially those who have laid down their life in defense of this unique vision of a country, uh, we could never have done any of it without you. Yeah, the very true, and and volunteer voluntarily mm-hmm. uh, is a huge part. I think that that needs to be acknowledged. And These, those, let's be honest, with those who were tabbed during the draft era and stood up to that commitment, stood up to what the country mm-hmm. needed when when the country called, and didn't didn't find an excuse uh, in order to not serve. Okay, uh, I'm sorry. Yes, sir. So uh, if you want to approach her uh, at some point in time and have her talk about uh, her experiences. I give her a hug every time I see her. Well, I know that, but I don't know that it has anything to do with the fact that she's a veteran. No, it doesn't, actually, <laughs> just because she t- takes care of you. <laughs> so, you know, if, if you want to have her on, I think she would probably want want to at least have a general idea of what we're going to ask her about well, beforehand because she knows how the two of us get yes. probably <laughs> more than almost everybody. Well, it, it, here's the thing, too, is that like so many veterans, she's not out there seeking attention for her oh, service no. time. She would no, no. almost be painfully uncomfortable being honored so much for so, that commitment. I've encouraged her to to put like a shadow box together to display all of her ribbons and medals because she has many. Mm-hmm. She doesn't want any of that displayed. She's like, that's for after I'm gone. And I'm kind of like, that's a little I, morbid. I, I, I want, well, but I, I should be proud of yes, what you did, what very you achieved. Much. I mean, almost from the beginning, she was achieving extra accolades in the military, and I, I wanted to be proud of that. So that's that's a conversation I think when we have her on, we can get to and, and dig into deeper. But yes, happy Veterans Day. Hug a veteran. Thank a veteran. If you don't understand, ask them why. They'll tell you. Morning meeting adjourned. Join us again Monday for the best talk in the tri-state. The morning meeting on Talk Radio 930 WTAD.